Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and by warm welcome, I mean, yeah, it's kind of warm. <laughs> Ryan and I were just talking about how warm it is here in the studio. It's pretty warm, pretty warm everywhere. So we're not going to complain, but awfully glad that we've got this time together. I hope you've had a great day to this point, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting Brian Haynes for the first time. He's written a book called War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Interesting topic. We're going to learn more about that. And then Dr. Greg Borgon is going to come on. We're going to talk about all sins being forgiven, how to remove and replace. And then uh, Mark Muska asked the professor. That's our two. So as you're formulating questions in your head, get them on paper, text them over anytime, 877-933-2484. Brian uh, Haynes has been a pastor for over 25 years. He loves to focus on family and parenting and discipleship. Congratulations on your book, although it's not an easy book to have written, and it's a tough subject. Yeah, thank you. It's not <clears throat> not one that I would have wanted to write, but I'm really uh, grateful uh, for how God's using it at yeah. this moment. Yeah, and we do connect at our, our points of brokenness, don't we? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So you start off by using a couple of wonderful Hebrew uh, words. I would love for you, just as we get things started, just to uh, talk about the three main words in the Hebrew language that describe the desert. Yeah. Um, Since 2006, I've been leading um, backpacking tours through Israel, just kind of a rabbinic head, heart, hands, and feet sort of experience. And one of the things that, or one of the places we spend time is in the wilderness, in the deserts of the scriptures. And there are several words for desert in the Bible, uh, but three of them stick out to me, and I really focused on them here by way of application to explore the environment that we live in, because because in the Bible, uh, the metaphor for life is actually wilderness or desert. Mm-hmm. It's everything between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21. Those words are midbar. Midbar is uh, desert you can survive in if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find water, grow things, you can live. There is uh, Tia. Tia is a desert you can survive in if you have help, if you have other people to help you make it through that kind of desert, you can survive. And then there's Yashimon. And Yashimon is desert you cannot survive in. This is the deepest, darkest, most, like, scourging uh, portion of the, the wilderness. And interestingly enough, uh, when we see the children of Israel wander in Yashimon after they come out of Egypt, that's where they get the greatest miracles, water from a rock, manna from heaven, uh, you need God to survive Yashimon. Mm-hmm. And life between the gardens is a desert, and you've got a, a desert experience. You've got uh, something your family uh, went, went through, which you call war in the wilderness. Would you be kind enough to share that uh, personal experience with everyone? Sure. This is ours. You know, I, I think everybody goes through uh, wilderness experiences in their life, but 
Um, several years ago, our oldest daughter now is 23 when she was uh, 18 and went off to college. Um, just a few months into college, she started experiencing um, anxiety and depression at levels that we could not figure out and did not seem to match the trajectory of her life. And uh, we sent her to a counselor and the counselor called me and said, has she ever been sexually assaulted or sexually abused in her lifetime? And I said, I, I really don't think so. You know, we were careful parents. We try to be guarded in those particular ways. I just can't think of a, a situation or circumstance where that would have happened. And to make a long story short, the counselor uh, did pull from her memory a specific time, place, person, and I could I could put that person in my house during that time frame. It was when my daughter was very young. It happened multiple times um, oh boy. because this was a trusted uh, individual for our family. And so for her whole life, she had been dealing with this in the back of her mind. And as she made that transition to college, it just came to the forefront. And uh, and then we began this just arduous journey of that comes with that of all the, the mental health issues, the emotional health issues, the spiritual health issues, um, the legal things that come with that. It, it impacted our entire family of five. Uh, it impacted our marriage. It impacted me as a pastor trying to lead uh, a church at the same time. And certainly and most vividly impacted our daughter who was uh, was wounded uh, in this this assault long a long time ago so this was uh this was a wilderness moment for us and in, in fact it it felt like yashimon we i think i think if you ask anybody in my family they would say that three or four year time period uh of of understanding what we were dealing with and then walking through through that toward healing and restoration uh, was the the hardest part of our family life to this moment. Brian Haynes is my guest. Brian, just the description of what you went through and all the ramifications for family and marriage and stress and everything that you uh, encountered and, and dealt with is really overwhelming. Um, and I'm, I want to hear more, of course, but when you talk about this experience being sort of in the back of her head, it sounds like it was more deeply buried and it, and it came out in a really horrible way. Yeah, we learned uh, along the way. I mean, I, I had actually encountered it before as a pastor, but, but it became very real to us uh, in our home that a lot of times children that are sexually assaulted or abused will actually their minds work to protect them from that and they compartmentalize it and sometimes don't, uh, don't even remember it until later. And, uh, and when they remember it, it starts coming to fruition like dreams and, and, and it manifests in anxiety, depression, anger, uh, sometimes, uh, acting out in particular ways and, uh, it's it's all too common. I'm afraid every time you tell the story, people line up uh, to say, man, this, this is happening to us, or this happened to us, or this happened to me. Um, it's, just a, it's just a rampant issue in our country, I believe. Mm-hmm. So how did you start to piece together and, and start to find hope and start to find 
any semblance of calm in the midst of all the chaos that was going on? Mm. Well, I think first and foremost, and I'm really grateful for this, you know, I, I don't think it's for years, I thought I'm walking people in the wilderness in Israel so they can understand the truths of the wilderness and who God is in, 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 in the, the desert. Um, but I needed all those lessons for us, for me. It's like he had uh, made me walk lots of paths before so that I would understand who he is. And I think initially we, we got our hope from the desert pictures that God gives of himself. He tells us, you know, he's our shade. In Psalm 121, he tells us, Jesus says, he's living water. And what do you need more in a desert than uh, water? He tells us, you know, he's our refuge, our place to run in the wilderness when we're we're in a warfare in the wilderness. And so we clung to, to who he is. Uh, I think that was our... The, the most foundational piece of what would become our healing and restoration. But we also surrounded ourselves with people who could help us uh, discern a path to freedom because you just have so many emotions uh, when, when something like that happens and you need other people to help you think and process. And so one of the best things we did is we got a very solid Christian counselor for our daughter who ended up helping our entire uh, family. And she just methodically walked through um, the reality of what had happened all the way through. And it took several years all the way through, um, you know, for our daughter, the issues of depression and anxiety and um, addictions that came with that body dysphoria, those kinds of things. Wow. And uh, and helped her through each one of those issues, and then consequently coached us as parents uh, about how to be life giving for her, even when it was very difficult uh, for her. Mm. And so that was a godsend to, to have a person, a counselor, a professional who also loved Jesus and knows the depth of spiritual warfare and how to how to fight in the midst of that um, was was an important step for us. Mm -hmm. Brian Haynes is my guest. His book is War in the Wilderness. Fight for your family when life isn't as it should be. We're going to take a break, but we come back. Brian, I want to ask you about, uh, you talk about uh, in a few chapters of of your book about enemy tactics. And I want to ask you when we come back, what are some of the lies that Satan wants us to believe about God? We'll take a short break and be right back with Brian. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. If you or your family is in a desert season of life, the most important thing you can do to lead through such a war in the wilderness is to cry out to God. And that's what Brian Haynes did with his family and his situation. His book is called War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. 
And before break, Brian, I suggested that I will, I'm going to have you talk about a few chapters in your book about enemy tactics. What are some of the lies that Satan wants us to believe about God? Sure. He has been telling the same lies uh, since Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> and he uses these same tactics, these same lies, uh, especially when we're going through really hard things really severe difficulties um, that we maybe we didn't even deserve. You know, it was the sins of another that has impacted you or your family uh, to a large degree. And, um, and Satan will tell lies about God instantly in those situations because he wants you to believe uh, that God is, is not trustworthy. That's one of the main lies that, that he, he will tell. You know, in Genesis 3, he, he says to, uh, to Eve, you know, if, if you eat of that tree, did God, did God really say you will die? You will not surely die. He's saying you can't trust God and what he said. And the same thing is true when we go through hard things. He will say, and he said to us as, as a family and to our daughter in particular, like, God is not trustworthy. If he was as good as he said he is, these kind of bad things wouldn't happen to people. And it wouldn't happen to you especially. And so, you know, you have a tendency to want to believe lies like that when you're going through really difficult seasons, especially in abuse cases like ours, where our daughter was asking questions like, if God is such a rescuer, if he's so good, why did he not rescue me from that? Why did he not keep me from that? It's a very hard question to answer. And you have to go back to the character and nature of God. Understanding the scripture teaches us that God is completely trustworthy, but we live in a wilderness. That's our environment. Sometimes we forget it's super broken, filled with broken people, and we're at war with a real enemy who came to what Jesus said in John 10 to steal, kill, and destroy. And so there's this warfare going on. And and certainly the enemy wants us to think, Satan wants us to think that God is not trustworthy. He'll often spin lies like God only really cares about himself. He doesn't care about you. Uh, he's not a good father. Um Perhaps that's one of the lies that uh, the enemy tells the most is like you can't you can't see him as a good father. I mean, why did he even put a tree in the garden that uh, you shouldn't eat from? You know, he'll he'll begin to spin all these questions in your mind. Why did that happen? He's a good father. You know, why why would he let that happen to you? His his kid, when in reality, we know the scripture teaches us that he is the perfect father. He's the best um, father. And, uh, and you know, we see that in, in Galatians 4, 4 to 7, when it says the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then heir through God. So the truth is, he's a great father. He's adopted you. You've got a new identity. You've got a new household, a new inheritance. Uh, one day, there's coming a day when there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore, because God really is restoring all things. He's really doing what he said he would do. I love I love being reminded of those solid truths 
Brian Haynes is my guest. His book is War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Not that I want to keep talking about some of the en- enemy's strategies, but you know, how does the enemy shame us and blame us with his lies? Because I, I keep hearing people repeating lies in their head, and, and they feel shame, they feel blame, and that is from the pit of hell. Yes, that that can happen a number of ways, but I'll, I'll tell you one way that it happens, particularly in a in an abuse situation. A lot of times you'll talk to uh, people who have gone through assault or abuse, and they will say things like, if I had only screamed, or if I had only said something, you know, our daughter was like, why did I never say anything until I was 18 years old? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, the enemy, like, in the moment wants them to feel like this is a shameful thing so they can never talk about it. He wants to keep those things in the darkness. But what we learn in the scripture and what the beauty of the gospel is, is that we, when we take things that are hidden in the darkness, even if they're painful and wounding, even if they're our own sin, and we bring them into the light and confess those things to the Father, He brings healing and freedom and restoration through His Son, Jesus. So the big lie is, hey, you better keep this hidden. You better keep it in the dark because it's shameful. And if anybody knew this, especially, uh, you know, your parents, your husband, your wife, your, you know, the people in your church, if anybody knew this, they, they would they would heap the shame and the guilt on you. That's what the, the enemy will tell us. But um, what we find is, and I've found this in my own life, um, that, that grace is so sufficient. And then when we bring those things that have been wounding to us or may feel really shameful or whether or where we may embrace shame, that's not even ours to bear. Uh, God, God lavishes us with his grace and with his love when we bring that to him and to other people. I think, I think we know the love of God really well when we expose our own heart to somebody else who loves Jesus and they they know all of us, and they offer us uh, grace, and they see us as who we are in uh, Christ. So conviction is from the Holy Spirit, but shame, that comes from the enemy. Yeah, and Brian, you said something which popped into my head that Satan does all the time, which is creates isolation and desperation. He wants you to feel desperate and isolated. That way you won't talk, and you can live with his lies in your head. Yeah, if you follow the metaphor, the the fastest way to die in the desert is to try to walk through the desert alone. Oh, uh, wow. just uh, will not survive it. Yeah. So, Brian, what are some of the mental and emotional impacts that we face when we're in the wilderness? Yeah. Well, you have impacts of just the environment. So, I mean, we're, we're facing uh, the sins of other people. We're up against our, our own sin, our flesh, uh, the works of the enemy. And so day in and day out, we are, we are constantly uh, dealing with uh, uh, wounds that come from the environment. Uh, but also, I think we face, um, we face warfare. And the, the warfare brings a spiritual kind of wounding that sometimes we, we may not pay attention to. Um, things like uh, judgments, judgments that we make. If I continue to use my uh, family's illustration, it was easy for my daughter to believe um, because 
this man did this to her, that all men were evil, that she would never want to be married. You know, that was a, that was a lie that she, she believed because she had made a judgment and, and a vow that was very spiritual in nature that mm-hmm. said, I can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the, and that in fact leads to depression. Um, those kind of lies. So uh, when we see people facing anxiety and depression, um, suicidal ideation, everything from uh, uh, food addiction to pornography addiction to, to you, you name it. Oftentimes people are medicating pain that they have, like a spiritual wound that they have, and they need freedom uh, and healing for that wound, and they find it in Christ. And the, the, the way that they find it is replacing lies with truth. Now, it sounds like such a simple statement, but sometimes that takes months, sometimes it takes years and processing, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit and gifted people in your life uh, that can help you overcome those kinds of abuses, those kinds of wounds, those kinds of difficulties. Mm-hmm. So do you have some advice for someone today listening that is fighting a spiritual battle? Yeah, I do, and it's very simple. And it's it's this, uh, don't do it alone. So many people try to fight these spiritual battles alone. They try to handle things by themselves. And particularly as Americans, we think to ourselves, you know, I can handle this. I'm an individual. I don't need help, that kind of thing. But uh, what I have learned over time is that um, isolation is our is our is, a, is is the quickest way uh, to destruction in our lives, to chaos in our lives. And so don't go it alone. You don't have to tell everybody what you're going through, but a few people need to know everything. Somebody that's capable, that can help you, shepherd you, pastor you, counsel you, uh, a friend that will love you uh, no matter what and tell you the truth no matter what that's not necessarily impressed with you, but just loves you. Mm-hmm. You need a couple people like that in your life if you're going to survive the wilderness. You know, sometimes, Brian, the hardest part is opening your mouth and saying the first three words. Yeah. To start, to start the conversation and say something that you've been holding in for a long, long time. So been a delight meeting you, Brian. Thank you so much uh, for spending time with me this afternoon. And I have enjoyed uh, our conversation and appreciate uh, the journey that your family has gone through and is going through and the way you're sharing this with others. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Brian Haynes has been my guest. You can learn more about Brian at brianhaynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S dot org, brianhaynes dot org. His book is called War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Take a break, and then we're going to come back. Dr. Greg Borgon is going to join me. We're going to talk about... Uh, Removal and replacement. That's all next. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome. 
two of the show. If you just joined me, I'm so glad you're uh, here. We've got a great half hour plan for you. We just had a wonderful half hour with Brian Haynes, a new guest to the program. I just met him for the first time today. He wrote a book called War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Now Dr. Greg Borgon is here with me in the studio, and we're going to talk about removal and replacement. Dr. Greg Borgon is the uh, chairman and founder of heartofawarrior.org, and he's adjunct professor here at Northwestern and uh, author of many books. Greg, welcome back. It's good to be back, Bill. Yeah, right. So let's talk about this removal and replacement strategy. I like it. Yeah, let's, let's first of all start off with some good news. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, God forgives all our sins, past, present, and future. Forgiveness comes as a kind of like a total package. God does not forgive us partially, but wholly. Now, many believers don't understand or appreciate that. Um, and so that's why we want to underscore it as we, we talk about this topic. So the believer in Christ can say, my future sins are forgiven for these reasons. Number one, when Jesus died, all of today's sins were yet future. Jesus did not die only for the sins of people who lived before him. He died for the sins of the whole world, according to John, 1 John uh, 2, 2, including the sins of those who lived after him. Mm-hmm. From the cross, Jesus says, it's finished, John nineteen thirty. No other sacrifice would ever be needed. Sin, all sin, had been atoned. It was done. It was finished. It was over. Um, when we've been justif- and, and we have been justified through faith, according to Romans 5.1, when God justifies us, he declares us to be righteous. In other words, he, he puts his mantle of righteousness over us, something we didn't earn, something he gives us as his gift. We still sin. But God's declaration still stands. The fact of our justification argues for the fact that our future sins are forgiven. You're right. This is good news. <laughs> Colossians 2.13 underscores this. And here's what it says. And you who were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So we're saved by grace through faith. And the moment we trust in Christ, uh, we're made right with God. Our sins, including our future sins, were ultimately forgiven, and our salvation is permanent. So divine forgiveness, when it comes to this wonderful gift of having forgiven all of our sins, first of all, is positional. We've talked about this on a, on a previous show, um, and it's also relational. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, positional forgiveness, uh, Ephesians 1, 6-8, is given to us upon receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In other words, all our past, present, and future sins are forgiven on a judicial basis, meaning that we will not suffer eternal judgment for our sins. So God's taken our sins and blotted them out, put them behind us, set them aside, because the penalty due for our sin was paid by Christ on the cross once and for all. So positional forgiveness is obtained by every believer in Christ. In our position as members of the body of Christ, we have been forgiven of every sin we've ever committed or will ever commit. Okay, Greg, if I could just pause here for a minute. You know, we get familiar, Christians who have followed Jesus for years, we get familiar with this language. Imagine what it would be like for someone who's tuned in today who's hearing this for the first time. Yeah, it, it's astounding. Mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's certainly not the kind of forgiveness we see uh, played out on a conventional uh, basis in our own society because it's so conditional. 
But God, through Christ, has just given this mantle of righteousness that we wear, that we didn't earn, that we, uh, that's been imputed or given to us by Jesus Christ. So the price paid by Christ on the cross has satisfied the wrath against sin, and no further sacrifice or payment is necessary. When Jesus said, it's finished, he meant it. Mm. Our positional forgiveness was attained then and there. Yet we still sin. Yet we still need to confess sin. And why is that? Um, so the second aspect of forgiveness besides positional uh, forgiveness, is relational forgiveness, First John 1, 9. It's an ongoing necessity because although forgiveness has been granted positionally, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is broken when we sin. There's broken relationship, broken fellowship. One authority describes it this way. He says, if a son does something wrong to his father, falling short of his expectations or rules, for instance, the son has hindered his fellowship with his father. He remains the son of his father positionally, but the relationship suffers relationally. Their fellowship will be hindered until the son admits to his father that he has done wrong. It works the same way with God. Our fellowship with him is hindered until we confess our sin. When we confess our sin to God, the fellowship is restored. This is called relational forgiveness. And it's an ongoing process as we grow in Christ, as we experience progressive sanctification, and we remove the corruption on an incremental basis from our life. We move towards um, a deeper and deeper relationship with God that's only hindered Mm. by sin. Is it a mutual hindrance, Greg? In terms of? Well, you know, you say our fellowship with him is hindered until we confess our sin. Usually if you're living with some kind of sin, you're pulling away from God. You're mm-hmm. you're not in fellowship with him because you're sinning. Yeah. And God is always there with open arms. Mm-hmm. But he, he can't demand it of you. Right. It has to be something, a decision that you make that you want to restore that relationship because he didn't offend you. You broke the fellowship by sinning. So... Our fellowship with him is hindered until we confess our sin. When our sin, uh, when we confess our sin to God, the fellowship is restored. And again, this relational forgiveness. So that's, that's the good news. So the Bible teaches that after salvation, we continue to sin. First John 1 8 and first uh, John 2 1. We won't reach sinless perfection this side of glory, although we'll progressively mm-hmm. become closer to to that as we uh, become more and hopefully more and more holy in our our approach to our relationship with God. The power of sin is broken, but because we're still flawed human beings living in a fallen world, we'll still at times give in to temptation. So our future sins, although ultimately forgiven in Christ, should still be confessed to God. 1 John 1, 9, unconfessed sin, a sign of disobedience, Stubborn heart will bring the father's discipline on his children, according to Hebrews twelve four through 11. And nobody gets up in the morning and says, gee, I just can't wait to be disciplined by God today. That's for sure. But you can avoid that by continually uh, being cognizant of and aware of a need to confess your sins so that your fellowship is restored with your heavenly father. So when we sin, we don't fear losing our salvation. That's also what I want our listeners to, to understand um, we don't fear losing our salvation. At the same time, we understand that our sin does damage to our fellowship with the Heavenly Father and to our relationship with other people. We confess to God 
our future sins as we commit them for the following reasons. We seek to walk in the light, and he is in the light. We strive for peace in the body of Christ, according to James 4.1. We do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. We want the joy of our salvation to be restored, Psalm 51.12. We desire to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, Colossians 1.10. Our testimony matters. We are called to good works that glorify the Father. Our light should shine, not be hidden under a bowl, Matthew 5.14-16. And finally, we must... Put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, Colossians 3, five. So confessing our sin to God is part of putting the old nature to death. And, Greg, we can't do that without the Holy Spirit, can we? No, no, because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one that sensitizes us to, um, you know, that broken fellowship. Yeah, but when you say we must put to death, it sounds like something we have to do. And I don't think we can do it without the Holy Spirit. Oh, no. The Holy Spirit is the one that that provides the purification. Yeah. We need to submit to that. We need to. It's like the current of the Holy Spirit. We need to step into the current and allow the current to take us to where the Holy Spirit wants to bring us. Yeah. All right. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about sin, and all sin has been forgiven, but we're replacing it with truth, which is such an important part of this whole process. We can learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. Obviously, you know Greg is a regular guest on the show. All right, Greg. So, in in essence, then, initial confession at uh, conversion establishes our relationship with God. Confession thereafter restores your broken fellowship with God. So that one-time event... That positional forgiveness is given to us at the foot of the cross when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord and establishes our relationship with our Creator. Then, because of walking in the world, you can't walk in the world and not be tainted by the world, um, we will be tempted and we will sin, but that relationship is not um, destroyed because it was established at the cross, but it must be restored in the sense of um, establishing, again, that fellowship with our Heavenly Father. So proper fellowship with God can't happen um, with unconfessed sin in our lives. Therefore, we need to confess our sin. Let's try that again. Proper fellowship Fellowship with God cannot happen with unconfessed sin in our lives. Proper fellowship with God cannot happen with unconfessed sin in our lives. Okay. Yeah, we can't avail ourselves of the power that's been given to us to live a godly life when we are turning away from God Mm -hmm. in our sin. God is always there. He never abandons us. He waits for open arms like a prodigal son wanting us to return, wanting us to repent, to restore that relationship. So proper fellowship, again, with God cannot happen with unconfessed in our lives. Therefore, we need to confess our sins to God as soon as we are aware that we've sinned in order to maintain close fellowship with God. And it's really a two-stage process, Bill. First of all, I'm often asked the question, why do I continually struggle with repeated sin? Why does it plague me? Why does it make itself um, uh, prevalent in my life over and over again. If I confess it, why isn't it gone? Well, the fact of the matter is our relationship with God must be restored uh, for us to enjoy life-giving fellowship with him. So the road to wholeness begins with removal of the sin that hinders our ongoing vibrant relationship with him. 
uh, by confessing our sin. So to maintain a healthy and loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need to confess our sin the moment we become aware of it. In doing so, we restore our fellowship with Him and avoid the discipline and consequences that come when we refuse to ask God's forgiveness. Mm. So a confession of our sin might look like this, Bill. To confess our sin, we must first acknowledge the corruption before God, followed by the recognition that this sin was nailed to the cross of Christ, and he alone can forgiveness. So true repentance is needed. What do we mean by repentance? The repentance, uh, the Greek word for it is metanoia, called for throughout the Bible is a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. You're under new management. You turn yourself over or who you see yourself to be at the foot of the cross, and he gives you back your true self, and you acknowledge him as sovereign. It's an exchanged life, isn't it? It's an exchanged life. You're Mm. under new management. That's a beautiful thing, too. Let's celebrate that moment, (laughs) you know, and go, this is not a burden. This is a complete joy. It's a complete joy. I mean, it shields us against all of the darts of the enemy. When you put on this wonderful robe of forgiveness and uh, restored fellowship. So, though it includes sorrow and regret, that is repentance we're talking about now. Though it includes sorrow and regret, I mean, you've heard people say, I'm sorry. But just the very attitude and their following behavior doesn't demonstrate the validity of the claim that they make, that they're sorry. So repentance includes more than just regret um, and sorrow. It, in, in repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, 180-degree turn towards God and away from the road that they were traveling. True repentance is a commitment to turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction uh, with the tension of living differently going forward. How many people, when they ask for repentance, have that thought in mind, though, to say, I am going to turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction as a result of this repentance? You know, that's a great question. I mean, why, why do we even need to ask that question? We should be hearing it from our pulpits about the importance of repentance. And here's the, the scriptures that underscore the importance of repentance. And I think... Part of it, Bill, is probably the enemy removing that from our vocabulary, yeah. getting us to ignore it or not to see the significance or importance of it. Yeah, let's save those uh, scriptures sure. for after the break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest, and uh, we're talking today about uh, all sins have been forgiven and we need to uh, re- remove and replace. We'll uh, take a short break and promise we'll be right back. Let's get studying this summer, starting on June 29th, reading the Bible together. Let's explore what the Bible says about suffering, truth, and godliness as we read together through the book of 2 Timothy. Sign up for the two-week study now and get your free study guide at myfaithradio.com. Great discussion today with Dr. Greg Borgon as we are talking about remove and replace. Now, Greg, right before the break, you were going to give us some scripture that went along with true repentance. Yeah. yeah. What I want the, the listeners to understand is, is that repentance isn't a feeling as much as it is an action that we are to take. So Luke 5.32, this is Jesus speaking. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That underscores the necessity of it not being just a feeling, but it's an action. So there must be some fruit that should be able to be observed when somebody repents. Acts 3.19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then in Romans 2.4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So that's the importance of it from a biblical point of view, not just a thought, but an action. So for a Christian, confession might go something like this. Heavenly Father, I confess my sin of whatever that sin is. I admit I have violated your standards for holiness. I recognize that our fellowship has been broken I acknowledge that my sin resulted in Christ's suffering on the cross. I repent of my sin. Please forgive me and restore my relationship with you. Mm. That's a beautiful prayer. It is. all about restoring the relationship with your Father. Now that we've kind of done a dry run of it, let's let people experience it now. Yeah. Let's just go through it one more time. The the prayer? Yeah. Yeah. And let's just let people pray. All right. Yes. And if you, as a listener... If there is a sin that, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you, often identified by a behavior that you know is corrupt, here's an opportunity to restore your fellowship. So I encourage you to follow along in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess my sin of... I admit I have violated your standards for holiness. I recognize that our fellowship has been broken... I acknowledge that my sin resulted in Christ's suffering on the cross. I repent of my sin. Please forgive me and restore my fellowship with you. Thank you for that, Greg. Yeah. We're, we're doing church right now. That's good. Yeah. I love that. So confession, once that confession has been made, we're not done yet, really, because the sin may repeat itself or plague us unless we do something about it. So confession should be followed. Confession, which is removal of that corruption, should be followed with replacement of the underlying cause of the sin and the lie, the corrupted belief it's based on with biblical truth. So we must replace the corrupted belief with a biblical belief if we are to be set free, I mean truly free. In other words, God's truth must replace the lie. We must commit to acting on this truth from this point forward. Remember, God's truth doesn't become ingrained truth until it's acted upon. And where do I get that from? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. So let's get really practical, Bill. How is replacement accomplished? We've gone through how removal is accomplished through confession. How is replacement accomplished? In the 13th century, St. Thomas Aquinas identified seven deadly sins that give birth to all other sins. I'll use it, these seven deadly sins, to illustrate how replacement can take place in the lives of believers. Now, obviously, there are more expressions of sin than we could probably enumerate until Christ comes. But what they identified were these seven sins that often give rise to all other sins. So what are these? According to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, it's pride, Greed, 
lust, envy, laziness, anger, and overindulgence. So, when we practice this process of confession, Heavenly Father, I confess my sin. Let's assume for a minute we say it, it's pride. Mm-hmm. Okay, I confess the sin of pride. And the lie that underlies that corruption is I'm better than others. That's what pride is all about. I'm not like those other folks. Mm-hmm. I'm better than others. That's the lie. So what's the truth? Well, first of all, the antidote for this deadly sin of pride is true humility and modesty. Philippians 2.3, here's the truth that we need to replace what we have removed. Philippians 2.3-4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That flies in the face of pride. It's completely opposite from it. So that's the truth we need to embrace and act on on a daily basis on the same direction over an extended period of time until it becomes part of our spiritual DNA. That's what I mean, Bill, by replacing sin after we've removed it through confession. Let me give you another example. Let's say, for instance, greed. Greed, um, the underlying lie that... uh, relates to greed is more is better. I don't have enough. I always can use more. It's interesting to me that on a secular level, when people accumulate wealth and you talk to them, they're rarely ever satisfied with what they have at the moment. They continually want more. So more is better. So what's the antidote? What do we replace this corruption with? generosity, and contentment. First Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So this removal is um, in terms of understanding the ramifications of, of greed. So those are two examples. We could go down through the whole list here, and, and maybe we'll have some time to do that, Bill. But the idea is is that we first start with removal through confession mm-hmm. and follow it up with replacement with God's truth with the intention of acting on that truth. Mm-hmm. Very, very helpful. This is r- really important uh information. Great scripture references. Um, Wrath is justified, anger, but Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says we need to be patient and have restraint and be loving. Mm -hmm. So we've removed and now we're replaced. Now replace it with truth. It's the truth that sets us free. That's what John 8, 31 and 32 says. If you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the road to freedom is um, removal through confession and replacement with God's truth. Mm-hmm. Take envy, for example, Greg, and that's, that's the lie is I want my fair share. That's right. And everyone would probably feel that way or say that. But the truth would be 
according to Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5, that we have gratitude and appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, you know, it's interesting that the road to humility is always reached over the bridge of gratitude. Mm, I like that. Gratitude is a significant thing. And so we need to be grateful for what we have, like Paul being content in whatever uh, condition we find ourselves, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know what, I want what they have, or they shouldn't have if if I don't have it. So the idea is replacing it. So, I mean, even when you talk about laziness, we, you know, laziness is all about procrastination. Tomorrow, the underlying lie is that tomorrow's good enough. Mm-hmm. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll put it off to tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. So, uh, the antidote for the uh, deadly sin of laziness is diligence and discipline. According to Romans 12 uh, 11, do not be slothful. And zeal. I love that word. Mm-hmm. It's not a common word in our no, English today. I don't hear that very often. I'm, I don't want to be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Yeah. So that's a powerful statement. So helpful, Greg. Thank you so much for this study. This has been wonderful. I, I can't wait to go listen to it a second time. Thank you very much for oh, this you're more teaching. Than welcome. Yeah, Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. You can learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Mark Muska is going to join the program for Ask the Professor. It's a full hour of questions for Mark, so send them over. I already see a couple on the text line. It is open right now just for you, 877-933-2484. And if you want to join the Faith Radio family and you're new to us, you can request a free welcome pack. You can do that by texting WELCOME to 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.